How are you all? Thank you so much for being here tonight. We are in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, and uh, I pray that you do, open up your Bibles, please, with me to Acts chapter 18. We are now wrapping up the second uh, missionary journey of Paul. And what we're going to see him do is kind of wrap things up, and he's going to go back to Jerusalem. He's going to report back to the apostles and the church there in Jerusalem. And then he's going to go back out on his third missionary journey found here in the book of Acts. This is kind of a a very um, simple place in the Word of God. This is not a a place that that most of us would land. and, 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 you know, if you went to do a conference, you probably wouldn't teach necessarily on this particular place in Scripture. Yet, in fact, there's much here to be learned. And there's much here to be seen about Paul. Now, the sad part about it is is it is written by commentaries that from verse 23 on, very little is said about what Paul went through. The journey that Paul made on his second missionary journey, this journey we've been looking at these past few weeks, has been over 1,500 treacherous, treacherous miles. Walking by a ship, Uh, in a lot of turmoil, a lot of problems, and yet it's kind of just glossed over. We really don't see the power and the magnitude of Paul in in these pages, in these verses. Do you know the reason why? Have you ever thought about why? Let me tell you why. This is my my speculation, but I believe it's right on. The Bible wasn't written so that you and I would fall in love with Paul. The Bible was written so that you and I would understand and and fall in love with Jesus Christ. And so very few people are are shown to us within uh, within Scripture that might take us away from the very person and the very things of Christ. And so even Paul, in all of his greatness, is reduced so that we would more center our minds, our hearts, our thoughts on Jesus Christ. I I still in all find Paul one of my heroes. Have I ever told you why? A lot of reasons, but do you you ever tell you the major reason why? One of the major, well, when when I was was younger and played baseball, it was impossible for me sometimes to aspire to, um, say, a Tommy Davis or a Willie Davis or, or, for goodness sakes, Henry Aaron or all those guys. They just made things look so easy. DiMaggio, Williams, these are older, you guys don't know them, but they're, they were really wonderful baseball players. It was almost impossible to inspire to that place. But some of the utility ball players, I thought I was almost as good as them. For me to look at Christ and to aspire to Him sometimes, it feels, do you ever feel this way? It feels almost overwhelming. I mean, He just doesn't do anything wrong. And are you anything like me at all? Don't need to nod your head, but do you find yourself falling short of what you want of yourself in in this life in which you live? And I always seem like I fall so short of my Savior. But I I love to see guys that mess up. Paul messed up. Peter messed up. um, Old Testament um, people messed up. They're like us. I put my, my arms kind of around them. And that's one of the reasons why I love him so much. But 
I still wouldn't aspire. He's still like DiMaggio to me. And, and I still wouldn't aspire to be like him. I mean, to be like him. He's, he's amazing. But I do see his flaws. And I do see the things that makes him human to me. And that I can maybe aspire to be like that. Acts chapter 18. Would you please turn with me to that great place in Scripture? Let me share with you a few things that we've seen. The last couple weeks, we have noticed, I hope, the importance that God places upon fellowship of believers, that we need one another to encourage one another, and the promises of God. Both are given Fellowship of believers, the promises of God are given to help strengthen you and me as we walk with Christ in this life which we live now here on this earth. We saw last week that God, in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 18, God made a promise to Paul. He appeared to him in a vision. And that promise, as we said last week, holds true to every single one of us who have believed in Jesus Christ. He said to Paul in the vision, verse 9, Don't be afraid. He says the same to us. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. The reason he says don't be afraid in verse 10 is, he tells Paul, as well as you and me, I am with you. No one will attack you. No one will do you harm Because, he says, I have many people in this city. And so we learned last week in verses 8 and 9, through the vision that Paul had, that we're not to be afraid. God is with us. Uh, No one will harm us. And he has many people to help support us. That's what the church is all about. Okay, here's one of the problems. Because there is a problem. In all of this, there's always problems. One of the problems is that you and I must confront the whole idea of God's timing in our lives versus our timing in our lives. The two don't mix. Most of us want things to happen when we want them to happen. Come on, God. Make it happen. I've already prayed, what, five minutes. Keep with it, you know. I'm anxious for this to take place. Make it happen, Lord. And God does not always do it that way. God's ways are not our ways. Our ways are not God's ways. It would do well, I think, for you and me to memorize. I've kind of uh, used this place in Scripture. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, 6, 7. It's kind of easy to remember. 1 Peter, if you got that, you got part of it. Then you just go 5, 6, 7. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may, what? What does it say? Exalt you when? In due time? What, what reading is that? Is that the NIV? No? New King James. Anybody have New American Standard? He'll exalt you when? At the proper time, in due time. What that is saying is, Humble yourselves. In other words, fall under the, the, the control, the, 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 the love. Fall under the, the, the control of God. Humble yourselves under Him. And He'll exalt you 
at the proper time. The proper time, you and I might need to know when you read that, is his time, not our time. The next verse says, cast all your anxieties. That's what it says in the New American Standard. Cast all your anxieties. That, that word anxieties could be cares or fears. Cast all your anxieties on him because what? He cares for you. He does. When it appears to you and me that, that he has lost sight of what we are going through, that he doesn't realize that we need what we want right now, and we want it right now, and we start feeling anxious about God, we, we start feeling that he has lost a little bit of control in and through our lives, we need to understand that that's wrong. If we humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he'll exalt us, but at his proper time. In the meantime, in the meantime, cast all your anxieties, cast all your cares, cast all your fears, cast all of those things that are troubling you upon him because he cares for you. He really does. Now, for a person that sees things half empty, and that's bragging, more empty. It's hard to think that God cares for me. I, I don't know if you feel this. There's times where I think, why would he care for me? Why would he care for me? I've let him down. But when I come to my senses... And I humble myself under his mighty hand and allow him to have his reign within my life. He'll exalt me at the, at the proper time. So that's the deal. When I say to you what we learned last week back in Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10 is that don't be afraid because God says he is with us. He also says no one will do us harm because he has many people to help support us. Our problem is when that starts to break apart, it is because we want it done when we want it done. And that's never going to happen in your life. It will always be. Even when it's done when you want it done, it will always be because that's what God wanted. He is in control of your life and my life. With that in mind, I want us to read Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28, the rest of this chapter. What we're going to see is Paul is going to kind of uh, wrap things up before he goes back to Jerusalem. And he's going to meet, well, he's already met Priscilla and Aquila. And he's going to meet now a man who is mighty in Scripture, a guy named Apollos. Verse 18 Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Centuria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left from there. Now he himself entered the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, Note, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. 
And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Verse 23, having spent some time there, he departed and passed successfully through the Galatian region and and Phygia, strengthening all the disciples. Verse 24, now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. He was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the ways of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Verse 26 says, He began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained it to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Acacia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. This is the end of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul goes back to Jerusalem, as it says in verse uh, 22. doesn't mention Jerusalem in the New American Standard Bible, but when it says he went up, man, he went to Jerusalem, and then when he went down, he went down to Antioch. And so Paul is back reporting And what we do from verses 23 to 28 is we catch a little glimpse of Apollos. And we learn something magnificent that takes place in his life. This this great, great, eloquent preacher of God's word. Let's pray. Dear Father, please do us the greatest of privileges, Lord. Open up our eyes and our hearts so that we may... We may uh, behold, dear Father, wonderful and glorious things from your word. Let us not skip through a section of scripture that that seems difficult or seems uh, hard to to teach or understand or, or seems not to have the thrust of other places. But let us be faithful to your word. And may your word minister to each of us, Father, as it, it, as it does when we study it in this fashion. Move me aside, I pray, dear Father, that you would, you would just hide the one that gives the message behind the wonders of your word. Teach us, Father. Teach us, dear Father. Conform us, dear Father. Comfort, convict all the things that are needed within our lives. May we give you, Father, full reign to do with each of us as you so see fit. So, Father, if you were to use me, I would thank you from the bottom of my heart. I pray that you, Father God, will minister to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, first difficulty. You might not even have noticed it. Some have a difficulty with why would Paul make a vow? Why would he sanction his vow by by cutting his hair? What was this all about? Why Paul would make a vow 
would go against, some would teach, the atoning work of Jesus Christ that he brought forth in the new covenant. The, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ brought in a new, a new era. And a vow that Paul made was directly related to the Old Testament. Well, you need to remember this. It is still, the church is still fresh. It's still brand spanking new. And some of the Jewish believers found it difficult to fully abandon the ceremonial practices that they did over and over again from the Old Testament law. Now, why Paul made a vow could have been, and I think it's the best explanation. Paul wanted to give thanks. This is his the end of his second missionary journey. He wanted to take a breath and give God thanks for caring for him while he was on this journey. That he's still alive. He's out of jail. He's still able to preach fully the things of God. And so Paul is making what is considered in the Old Testament, a peace offering, an an offering of thanksgiving to God. It was a Nazarene vow. In the book of Numbers, the sixth chapter, the 18th verse, in fact, if you read through all of chapter 6 of Numbers, you'll kind of get an idea of the mindset of Paul and his Judaism, his, his being raised within the whole religion of being a Jew. But in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 18, here is what Paul did. It says, The Nazarites shall shave his, hedica- his dedicated hair, head of hair, excuse me, at the doorway. As you can well see, look up here. I'm halfway through that process. Most of you thought I was going bald. I am not. I am shaving. No, I'm not. (laughs) The Nazarene shall then shave his dedicated head of hair at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and he shall take the dedicated hair of his head, put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of a peace offering. What Paul is doing is understandable thinking through his heritage. It is not understandable concerning what Paul taught. And Paul taught grace. God's unmerited favor poured out upon God's people. Unmerited favor. You receive what you certainly do not deserve because God has given His grace to you. Now, to get to really make sense of this, to me, I turned directly to Dr. McGee, hoping that he explained why, why Paul took this vow. And sure enough, he did. Dr. McGee says that this is not an issue, as some would make it an issue, of why he took a vow. And Dr. McGee says, turn to first. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. In 1 Corinthians 
chapter 10, verse 31, Paul writes these words. Whether then, are you there? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's just to the right, a little bit from the book of Acts. You'll go past Romans and then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether then, Paul writes, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Dr. McGee went on to write, the important thing was not that Paul made a vow. The important thing was that he was glorifying God through his life. Whether you make a vow or whether you don't make a vow is not at issue here. In other words, when it says whether you eat, he's talking about eating meat, or whether you drink, that's not the issue. The issue is whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And so what Dr. McGee explained is is Paul cutting his hair and offering it as a peace offering to God. In other words, superseding what or putting aside what, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, thinking that that might find favor with God, wasn't an issue. In other words, whether you eat meat or whether you drink, that will not entrust or give you favor with God. Or abstaining from meat will not give you favor with God either. What gives you favor with God is simply glorifying Him in and through your life. To live daily honoring God. You and I can do that. We can do that. And so the issue here, and I'm telling you, you read the commentaries, it is an issue that they thought, whoa, how come Paul did a vow? He's under grace. And he taught grace. Dr. McGee wiped that aside, saying, no, whatever you do, whether you take a vow or you don't take a vow, it doesn't matter. You do what you do to glorify God. And you and I can rest assured that that's what Paul did. He glorified God in and through his actions and his life. So it's not saying that you and I should take a vow, ever. But it's not also saying that if you do, it's going to do you harm. What what the purpose in your life ought to be, hear this clearly, is to glorify God in and through whatever it is that you are doing. Okay, let's go back to chapter 18. Now I want you to see something. You want to you look at friendship? It is almost kind of brushed aside. You read it with me just a little while ago. Look at verses 18 and 19. And think about this. Paul, having remained many days longer, he is staying there in Corinth, met all these people. Who were the two people that he met, that he, that he, that he lived with and really loved? Priscilla and Aquila. Just met them. Walked into town. They had a tent building. Uh, they had a tent uh, 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 building business. And he joined them because that was his livelihood as well. And he started working with them. Watch. Verse 18. Having remained there many days, he took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him, with him, with him, folding up their business and going on this journey is Priscilla and Aquila. 
He has uprooted them from Corinth and their business, their livelihood, and they are now missionaries with Paul. You, you see why Paul loved these two so much? They're on the journey with him. And it says, they put out to sea for Syria, and in Caesarea is where he had the vow. Then they came to Ephesus, and what did he do? He left. <laughs> Folks, I'm telling you, this is no small thing to me. If I've knit myself to Paul, and I say, Paul, what are we going to do? We're going on the missionary journey. All right, count me in. I'll go with you, whatever it takes. When we get to Ephesus, he says, you guys stay here. I'm going to keep going. What? <laughs> I've just quit my, I just wrapped up my business. I'm a, I don't know any, what am I doing here? tell you what they're going to do there. They're going to start the church. They're going to start a church that is a magnificent church. Paul leaves them. Some might say, look, I, I, I understand Paul taking a vow. I don't understand Paul leaving Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus by themselves. That to me was a big deal. As much as I hate to travel, ooh, if he would have then up and left me there, oh my gosh. But he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, the churches in Asia greet you, he says, and, he says, and Aquila and Priscilla. And he called her Prisca. Remember, he, he, whenever Paul spoke of Priscilla, he called her Prisca. That was her formal name. He must have had such respect for this woman. He doesn't call her by her informal name, Priscilla. He calls her Prisca. And in 1 Corinthians, which Paul wrote, see, Acts, Luke wrote. And Luke calls her Priscilla, not Paul. He says, Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that's in their home. I'm t that makes me laugh a little bit. You talk about commitment. Now, that doesn't say that, that, that he fired them up and say, look, when we get to Ephesus, I'm going to leave you there and we're going to let you start the church. We don't know. We don't know. And so, he leaves them there. And as usual for Paul, watch in verse 19. What does he do? When he came to Ephesus, he left them there, and he himself entered the synagogue, and he reasoned with the Jews. That was his practice. Paul did that over and over again. But, what did Paul say? Remember? Remember, this is what's so good about studying the Bible like we do. Look back, maybe you remember, look back at verse 6, when they, the Jews were blaspheming and they were not listening and resisting what he was telling them about Christ. When he was in uh, um, Corinth, it says in verse 6, he shook out his garment, he said to them, your blood be on your own head, I am clean, from now on I'm going to go to the Gentiles. But true to his, his habit, when he went to a new place, he went to the synagogue first because he knew he would find in the synagogue people at least who had a, a worship of God, people who at least had some sort of desire to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he goes to the synagogue. And they, just like the people in Berea, just loved Paul with all of their hearts. 
So much so, look at verse 20. What do they ask him to do? They ask him, Paul, stay with us for a longer time. Stay here, Paul. This is good stuff you're teaching us. Stay. And what does it say in verse 20? They asked him to stay, and he did what? He did not consent. He did not stay with them. That gives clear testimony to the seriousness when Paul made the statement in verse 6 saying, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. But in verse 21, it shows us how much Paul loved his fellow Jew brethren. He says, though, in verse 21, I will return to you again, what? If God wills. I don't have it up here because I thought about it a little bit later. And guys, please forgive me. It's not their fault. It's not on the board. It's totally my fault. But I want you to look at James chapter 4. Hold your place here in Acts chapter 18. Thought about it this afternoon. Actually, no. I thought about it this morning. I usually, as my practice, some of you might wonder, I, I study all week. I kind of get everything on paper by Friday. Try to get the whole message done by Friday. And then I send it to whomever I'm supposed to send it to. Like I send it to the interpreters so that they have an idea of, of where this little pea brain's going to go. So that when they're, they're signing, they're thinking, oh, you know, I hope I can follow him. And, and so I send that to them. But when I wake up Saturday, as is my practice, first thing I do is I walk to the computer and I, I go over everything. And it is there that I found in, in James chapter 4 something that was running around my mind. When, it, when, when Paul says, I'll return again if, the, if my God wills, in, in James chapter 4, verse 13, James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. He says in verse 14, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. We're just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, James writes in verse 15, we ought to say this, If the Lord wills, we shall live and we shall also do this or that. That's a great way to understand our lives, really. That we are totally under the control of our God. And if He so wills, He will do with us as He sees fit. And so, back to Acts chapter 18, verse 21, Paul says, I will come back to you again if God wills. And then he sets sail from Ephesus. But remember, remember, don't forget, don't forget verses 18 and 19. He left behind in Ephesus two of his most entrusted friends, Priscilla and Aquila. And he left them there to help build the church and build a magnificent church they did now verse 22 doesn't mention it in the new american standard bible but paul when he lands in caesarea when it says he went up that means he went up to jerusalem and it says to greet the church what he was doing namely is he was greeting the apostles what he did when he came back to Jerusalem, after his second missionary journey, he reported to them all the things that God has been doing 
in all the cities that he visited so that they knew this is what's happening in Corinth. This is what's happening in Ephesus. This is what's happening in all of the places that I have been. He made a report to them telling them what was happening on and in and through his missionary journey. There was order to the church. And so after he reported to them, greeting the church, he then went down to Antioch. Now, in these short verses, Luke says so little of the long and difficult journey that Paul had and the heroism that he displayed for the cause of Christ. William Barclay, in his commentary on this, wrote these words about Paul. He says, We realize how little we know of Paul. In saying so little, Luke describes a journey of about 15,000 treacherous miles, and he dismisses it with barely a reference. My thought, not Barclay's, my thought. It's because this Bible is not all about Paul. You and I read here, it's all about Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know about him rather than those who represented him. And so, Barclay wrote, within these verses, so little is told. There are untold tales, he writes, of heroism of Paul, which he says, we will never know this side of heaven. That's why I want to go, I want to find out what in the world happened. I want to listen. What was it like, I wonder? What did he have to go through? Why did he leave Priscilla and Aquila there alone? I, I, I want to ask that. And so in verses 23 forward to the end of this chapter, even beyond, we are now taken on the third missionary journey of Paul. And then we are introduced in verse 24 to a magnificent preacher of the Word of God, a man by the name of Apollos. Verse 24. There was a Jew named Apollos. He was an Alexandrian by birth. That means he was born in Egypt, right near the mouth of the Nile. And he, because Egypt was a place that was well-learned, and, and there were a lot of Jews in that area, he learned about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. He had learned that there would be a forerunner, uh, in the likeness of Elijah, who would come and set the stage for the Messiah. He knew all of these things. He had a great and passionate love of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he understood the Old Testament. And he was eloquent, it says in verse 24. He was mighty in Scripture, it says in verse 24. And in verse 25, it says that he was fervent in spirit. Saying that he was an eloquent man, well, he probably never once said, uh, or, you know, he probably didn't stutter. This guy could preach, I bet. And he was mighty in Scripture. He knew what he was talking about. Which simply means he was well-trained. There in Alexandria, he was well-trained from birth. More than likely, his parents and when verse 25 makes this simple statement, he was fervent in spirit, that means he had a soul 
full of enthusiasm for the things of God. I'm certain he was passionate every day of his life when he got a chance to speak before people concerning the things of Christ. But Apollos had something missing. He did not have, we are told in verse 25, a full understanding of the gospel. He was acquainted only, look at verse 25, only with the baptism of John. In other words, the baptism of John was was a statement of preparation, preparing the way of the Lord. In Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says that John, John the Baptist, you want to turn there, please? Luke, you don't have to, but you can, please. I'll wait. Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Here's what Apollos was acquainted with. It says that he, talking about John the Baptist, John the Baptist will turn, verse 16, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, which he did. He told them, repent, repent, repent. And verse 17 says, it is he, John the Baptist, who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He is preparing the way for the Messiah who is going to come, which Jesus did. He came and he baptized Jesus there in the Jordan River. Now, Apollos accepted what John the Baptist taught about the Messiah that was coming. He understood that this guy was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And so that's what he was teaching. But he didn't understand as of yet the significance of Christ's birth, death, and resurrection. Not yet. Nor was he acquainted with the coming of the Holy Spirit at the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. He did not know about any of that yet. And so, although his teaching concerning the Old Testament and the preparation for the coming of the Messiah was accurate, Apollos still needed the rest of the story concerning Jesus Christ. And so, when he was there in the synagogue preaching to the Jews about the making way the ready of the Lord, Priscilla and Aquila heard this, having been taught when they were back in, in, uh, in Rome, coming from a great church, and also now living with Paul, knew about the grace that, that comes through Jesus Christ. And so when they heard him, I want you to note something really, really wonderful. When they heard him, where's it at? Uh, it says they took him aside. What? 26. When he began to, verse 26, thank you guys. When he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, when Priscilla and Aquila heard them, they took him aside. That is, those are one, two, four words that are absolutely magnificent. What most commentators believe is that he was speaking in the synagogue and they took him aside and they took him to their home and they got him alone in their home and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. In other words, instead of publicly 
uh, instructing Impalus, like, oh, he's a great speaker, he's mighty, but hey, let us teach you something here. Let us teach you something here, preacher. In front of all the people, they didn't do that. They tactfully took him aside and they spoke to him. If you'll note, and there's so little about it, but there's no sign of pride on either side, not Apollos' nor on Aquila or Priscilla. There's only humility on both sides concerning this innocent stage of, of, of ignorance for Apollos. He just didn't know, that's all. And what we see here is another case of God using a woman and her husband, both of them, helping a great and eloquent preacher. She, Priscilla, and Aquila taught him something that he did not know. Listen, there is no basis in Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, that would teach that a woman cannot teach the Word of God accurately. There's no basis of that. There are places where a woman, because of what God has done, and that we'll have to ask God as He has put a, a, a ceiling upon a, a, a what a woman will do within a church. A woman is not to be a senior pastor. A woman is not to be an elder. But other than that, there is no place that a woman can't be used or, or teach us, men and women alike, the things of God. They can, just as any of us can, handle accurately the Word of God. And we see that through the lives of all these people that Paul keeps mentioning. All these women. Why does he mention all of these women? I think for a reason. To show all of us that God is not chauvinistic at all. He is open to the things of men and women within the the body of Christ. And so Apollos now armed, armed with this newfound knowledge of God's gospel went across the Aegean Sea to Acacia. Namely, he went to the capital of Corinth. And look what he does. Look what he does in verse 27. The brethren encouraged him, Go, Apollos, go. And they even wrote the disciples in Corinth that he is going to be there and to welcome him. He is a magnificent teacher of the Word of God. And when he got there, he made his presence felt. Look what Luke writes in verse 27. He helped greatly those who had believed through grace. He now understood the, uh, the unmerited favor that you and I receive once we come to Christ. He understood now the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the coming of the Spirit of God upon us on the day of Pentecost and the importance of the church. He now understood And so he helped greatly, as verse 27 says, those who believed through grace. That's how you and I have come to Christ. That's why some of them, at the start of this, some commentators had trouble. Why did Paul make a bow? He's under grace. He knew that. He taught it. And then it says in verse 28, as we close out this great chapter, Apollos powerfully refuted the Jews in public. He demonstrated by the scriptures. Note, he demonstrated by this. He didn't give them some philosophical ideas about religion. He demonstrated from the word of God. He demonstrated through the scriptures, it says, that Jesus is the Christ. Those two words, powerfully refuted in verse 28, 
It's a long Greek word. It's D-I-A-K-A-T-E-L-E, G-C-H-O-M-A-I. The reason it's so long is it is an intense double compounded word. It means that Apollos was so effective in refuting what others were saying against Jesus Christ that he crushed them in public. They had, they were left helpless in his wake. He totally disproved their every point that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah or that he is not God of human flesh. And so this man, Apollos, did some great things. We'll leave him off for a while and we'll go back to Paul as Paul starts his third journey. We're going to start that next week in chapter 19. What can I say? What is tonight really all about? Well, it's about the importance of both men and women within the body of Christ. It's important to understand that God will deal in your life and in my life in His good time. He's got a timing for you. If you'll just humble yourself under His mighty hand, He'll exalt you at the proper time. In the meantime, because you might be concerned and who couldn't, you know, who would blame any one of us that might be concerned? Cast all of our cares. Cast all of these concerns upon Him because we've got to realize that He cares for us. Even when He doesn't answer us right away. So let's pray. Dear Father, thank You for this gracious and wonderful time that we have to study Your Word. Thank You for new people that come and, and we pray, Father, that they'll be blessed as we study through the Bible. Thank You, Father, for those that are here all those of us who are here every week. What a joy it is for us to be able to study your word and to see how things fall together and see the magnificence of Paul and see how, Father, even though he did great and mighty things, very little is really said because we're not to fall in love with Paul. We're to fall in love with your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, by your grace, may we, Father, fall in love with your son and in so doing fall in love with you bless this time that we've just had bless us this coming week bring us back again together next week that we might learn more in Jesus precious name amen love you all so much have a great night thanks for being here so much good night everybody